Good morning. Uh, I, I was uh, pretty undone in the worship, so forgive me if I'm, I am emotional, because uh, I am emotional. Uh, uh, human beings are, are, are strange, aren't we, really? When we're in a group, we, we want to fit in, don't we? Something in us wants to fit in. And, and if you're in a noisy group and you're quiet, you think, oh, oh I don't fit. Do, do you know what I mean? I can't be like that. And, and if that's required to fit, then this probably isn't for me. And if you're a really loud, noisy extrovert and you go in a room of really quiet people, <laughs> you probably don't stay in the room very long because you don't want to upset them and you don't feel like you fit. Do you know what I mean? Now, I'm, I, I'm one of these weird people. I, I like noisy and can do noisy, but... Every now and again, I just need to do that quiet thing. And, you know, don't mess with me when I'm doing that, please. Don't try and make me loud when I need to be quiet. And in an environment like this, we need to have the space to do both. And both is okay. And you fit. Do you see? Rather than going, because you could be sitting there going, oh, I'm not as noisy as them. This really isn't a place for me. I could never do that. Therefore, I don't fit. Well, that's not the qualification for fitting. Um, or you could be going like, man, there's too many quiet people in this church. I need an extrovert church. Well, actually, wouldn't it be sad if we ended up with the extrovert church and the introvert church? And actually, probably in Christianity, that's a lot of what's happened. Um, but actually, what God's doing with us is setting us free to be crazily ourselves. The key is meeting him, encountering him, however that's happening for you, and not getting freaked out about how it's happening for somebody else. Like, well, if it's not like that, I don't fit. That, that's, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to create people who all respond the same. But we are trying to create a space where people who are a bit crazy aren't walking in every week going, I've got to dial down my crazy. And those who are feeling, I just need that, that zone where, where it, you know, I could, it's just me and Jesus and it's quiet. You feel okay about that too. Do, am I making sense here? Are you happy? The thing is meeting Jesus. He's here. He's here. He's absolutely here. So I felt like I should sit down to do that. I needed to rest my legs. So I, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a really thorough teaching series. If you've, and honestly, if you've missed some of it over the last three, two or three that I've done, I can't recap everything to make total sense, but it, it is going up on the website. So, but, but I, I want to, this, this is another, so, so a separation in church can be you know, between the crazies and the quiets. You can also end up with a separation between the thinkers and the feelers. It's normally called the evangelicals and the charismatics. So you have a load of people who really, really value that we have to have a reason for our faith and a load of people like, well, if you haven't encountered something, you really haven't got anything. And it, and it feels like they do this dance, <coughs> but they can never quite get together. But it's a separation that really was never intended to happen. 
So some, some of you I know will be enjoying that I'm doing some thorough Bible teaching. And maybe others of you are like, oh, I want to have another encounter with the Holy Spirit. Let's not do that. I, I'm, one of the ways I've realized God's made me is, is, is I've got a foot in both camps, which at times can be painful. It's like, I really need to think about this. Oh, come Holy Spirit, I want to get wrecked. No, what happened there? What's the theology for that? Oh, come Holy Spirit, take me to heavenly places. Oh, that person got healed, that person didn't get healed. I did the same thing, why didn't it? I love my Bible, I've been reading my Bible pretty much every day for 40 years. Some people live in the, hmm, what's going on, most of the time. And other people live in the, oh. What the, oh, people need is a bit more of a, hmm, what does the Bible say? And what, the, what does the Bible say, people, is they definitely need a bit more of the, oh, come Holy Spirit. Because in the Bible, the two things were never meant to be separated. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a message about help I don't understand, but I, I want to kind of get into this message from this spot, which is if you feel it's important to understand, that's brilliant. If you feel it's important to feel, that's brilliant. What is biblical is to have both happening at the same time. Because when, in John 14, when, when Philip says to Jesus, Show us the Father and that will be enough. Which is actually the cry of every human, not just every Christian. If they could see the Father, that would be enough. It really would. We want to see God. And Jesus' response to the question is, Philip, if you don't you know me? Don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, the key is no. Like, don't you know me? He's, Jesus is expecting to know. So, you know, I, I, back in England, I did my A-levels, and I, I have a degree and a diploma in industrial studies, if you want to know. I could have BSc plus DIS after my name. Most of you are not impressed. That's okay. <laughs> I got a 2-1 if you're interested. Long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But I was going somewhere with that and I've forgotten where it was. <laughs> what I learned to do in getting my A-levels and my BSc was I could assimilate loads of information, do some analysis on it and answer questions on an exam paper. Most of it I forgot the day after I'd done the work. Anybody here in that camp? Like, what's a differential equation? Man, those things did my head in at school. And I managed to pass an exam in it, but now I know, I know there are some people in this room to whom a differential equation is a valuable and precious thing, so I'm not knocking them. <laughs> but in my line of work, it never comes up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> hmm. 
elders meeting, what we need is a differential equation. They, they kind of passed by. But the, the point is, I got trained to use my brain to, to get some information, learn it, assimilate it, process it, and reproduce it. And at the end of that, I got my two one because I knew something. Or they thought I did. The fact that I forgot it the day after I passed the exam is not the point. So when, if you had that encounter with Jesus as, as a Westerner like me who's got your whatever, you may, you may have a hires or I don't know. But you, we've all learned to learn in some way or other, have we not? And, and some of us are better at passing exams than others. Some of us are better at squeaking through and you know, last minute cramming and I was expert at that and I passed that on to one of my sons. It just sort of, it's amazing how it happens. I didn't actually have to communicate anything. It's just how he did it. But the, 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 the point is, you could be in that situation and Jesus says, you don't know me. And you're like, ooh, I obviously didn't read the right books while you were around Jesus. Or I, I wasn't listening to the teaching well enough to be able to answer the question right at this moment in the right way. D- do you see? But that's, that's not really what he's saying but he is saying that. It's really difficult. What, he's actually, what the Greek word is nosko is actually saying, you've been around me. You've had personal contact with me. You've had encounters with me. You've had experiences of me as you've lived and breathed and walked around and been next to me and you've heard me and you've seen what I do and you don't have enough gnosko to go, I've seen the Father. Now obviously to say I've seen the Father requires that understanding has dawned in the heart and mind of Philip. So the, the, the idea in the Bible isn't experience is separated from knowledge that's mental knowledge or, or understanding in that sense. It's that both of them live together and the wholeness of that is knowing God. And they inform one another and they're not separate, which is what's happened in Christianity. So broad statement, but generally you have the word people in one camp and the spirit people in another the experienced people and the thinking people. And actually what God wants is that we are realizing that everything he says is an invitation to experience. And every experience is an invitation to deeper knowledge. I'll say that again. Every experience is an invitation to see more of God. He teaches, if you read the, the, as we're reading through, the Gospels in, in Hope Reads, you'll see that Jesus expects the disciples to learn things from seeing miracles. He's expecting them to gain information about God and his nature and what he does through experiencing him. So when God does something, when God touches you and you don't get a prophetic word and nothing happens in your brain, for those of us trained in the West, we think, oh, God wasn't saying anything because nothing happened in my brain. Say, say, say I, someone prays to me, say I 
have a, an experience of shaking and falling on the floor when I've been prayed for. And this has happened to me a few times. And you lie on the floor and you can't get up and you're like, God, what are you saying? And inside your head, nothing is happening. Any, any, anybody else happen, that happened to quite often? You're like, God, you're, what, you're doing something, but you're not saying anything. But he thinks he's saying something by doing something. But because we don't have a box like that, because we box experience and knowledge apart, we think because we're not getting new information in our heads, he's not doing anything. Where he thinks, I'm actually doing something. But, but we need to learn his ways, and his ways include teaching us through encounter and experience, not just giving us proof texts or Bible verses. All right? So not knocking the knowledge. The trouble is, every time you talk like this, it sounds like when you lift up one side, the other side says, well, it's very important that you know. And the other says, yeah, but it's very important that you experience. What I'm saying is very important that you bring it all together and don't fight about which is the most important. Because from a biblical point of view, it's a whole thing. And if you stand on one line or the other, you're missing out on biblical revelation of God. So, well, I don't like the experience thing. Well, then actually, maybe you should talk to God because he designed us to experience him. And he's sending experiences because in his mindset, that is an authentic, brave, and wonderful way that he is known. By invading your emotional space and messing with it is an, is an absolutely authentic and genuine way in which God reveals himself to people. And some of us need help to switch on our sensing, feeling radar and dial down our rational. And some of us need help to think and dial down some of our. So that we're living in a wholesomeness. We're living in an encounter with God. What? What? <laughs> I believe that something's happened over quite a while for us as a community. There's a foundation. And I used to think a foundation was if, if the leaders or I teach you all the right stuff and you know the right stuff about God and Jesus, that we have a solid foundation. And I don't think that's the whole truth. I think the foundation is Jesus. Not an idea about Jesus, but Jesus. What's important is when we gather as Hope Church is that we together, in different ways, in different forms, experience Jesus. Because he is alive, he is present, he, he doesn't need his arm twisting to be here, but actually to establish a place where everybody experiences Jesus as the living, resurrected, ascended, present Lord requires some words because some barriers have to come down. Some understanding has to be illuminated. But the goal of the words is that you experience Jesus, not that you can remember all the words. There will not be a test before you go to heaven can you remember all of Andy's sermons? Hallelujah. Because I wouldn't pass it. 
the question constantly that God is asking is, do you know me? Do you know me? I had a, I had a, a frustrating years ago friend of mine, incredibly bright guy, had an amazing, amazing take on one of the books of the Bible. Uh, and was writing, had done a master's, and was probably going to do a PhD. And I got a lift with him about this whole thing. He spent a lot of time. He's super bright, brain like a planet sort of guy. You know, you meet them. And, and I'm like, I just wanted to ask you something. How much did it affect your relationship with God doing this? Did it improve through all this? I, I, I nearly, I mean, I managed to do the sozo face thing. I managed to disguise my surprise when he said, I don't think it's affected it at all. That's sad. Is this making sense? Oh, good. Are you feeling anything? Some of you are, some of you are not. Am I supposed to do both? Yes. There's a retraining from God that we can do both and, not either or. Even the desire I have in speaking is that you have an experience, not just you hear some words and go home. So some people can say, like, doing this as a way of teaching is actually very inefficient. If the goal is simply, for you, if you was your goal was a, a divinity exam at the end of 10 weeks attendance at Hope Church, then actually to communicate Bible information this way is actually not the best way to do it. You may be retained 15% if you're lucky, and they say that vision statements last in people's hearts for about three weeks after you've spoken about them. So what I'm doing, if that was the goal, this is a stupid way to do it. You are. It all lasts longer if you take notes. Actually, even if you never read them again, it lasts longer. That's one of the reasons I take notes, because actually the process of doing that helps you. Thanks, David. That, that, that's good. Do you, if we were just about learning, there are better ways to do it than a, this. But if we're about understanding in a biblical sense, then... Actually, we're gathered around the presence, and I think it's a mistake to say that the presence only happens in the worship. If presence isn't happening in my speaking, I should stop speaking. And presence is, the presence of God is manifesting in our worship, and sometimes it goes on longer because we want to embrace that. But it's a false separation to say that presence doesn't belong in preaching actually if there's no presence in preaching and teaching let's stop doing it because really the transformational thing is meeting him not hearing me but if hearing me or whoever's here helps you meet him then job done that was possibly the longest introduction ever (laughs) but it felt important to say that it's a kind of a message, really. Ah. So why don't we just invite the Holy Spirit to fill us up again, to speak to us, to fill our emotions. <laughs> God, we want to encounter you in, in your word. We want to encounter you and your presence. We want to encounter you in worship. 
we're, we're in a place because of our relationship with him, which is we're segueing into the actual message, where we can experience him all the time. So just to try and <laughs> recap, I've, I've been seeking to talk to you about making Jesus supreme in the way that we understand our Bibles. And I've been doing that by talking about the history of covenant through the Bible. And there just isn't time to recap everything because we've done some, we've actually done some serious work on that over, over a couple of weeks. But what you see is there's the, there's the covenant with, with Adam, the covenant of creation, some people call that covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses and the people of God, covenant with David. What you see with each of those, what we, what we found really clearly is that each point, things change very significantly. And not just the rules change, but they do, but also what people experience of God changes. One of the, the, the biggest contrasts is moving from Moses' covenant to David's covenant where we've talked about this a few times, where the one man can go in to the Holy of Holies and it's inside a, and stand before the Ark of the Covenant of the Presence inside this inner sanctum. And then David takes the Ark, rips it out from that whole, that whole place and erects another tabernacle in another place, puts the Ark on full display and gets people singing, playing musical instruments in front of it. And... That's experience, they experience joy, not fear. That's a big change in an experience of the God who never changes. And we, did, we spent a lot more time developing that from each one, how things change. Now, of course, the biggest change is the new covenant, is Jesus. And so you have to go somewhere with that. And, and the, early, the early church and, and the, the writers of the New Testament had a really huge problem because they had, John puts it like this, we, we were with him, we, we felt him, we touched him. You know, John's the one that leaned his head on the, on the chest of Jesus on the night where they broke bread when he was betrayed, remember? And he kind of cuddles up to the Lord of glory and this is phenomenal and says, who, who is it that's going to betray you? Jesus was tangible to them. He, he was a real man who they came to know by experience and by revelation, all right? They didn't get, you couldn't get this from a book. You only got it by being with the man Jesus day after day for three years. Slowly and slowly, they started to go, you are the son of God. There was that moment where Peter, Jesus, is, he asked them every now and again, well, they say this and they say that, but who do you say? Uh, Peter says, you're the Christ. And what does he say? He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because you didn't get this from anywhere except my father revealed it to you. He came because you couldn't get it from just reading the old covenant book. But you could get it by a relationship with Jesus who was anointed with the Holy Spirit. D do you see? They understood this. And then Jesus did what he did. He died. He rose again. He got ascended. He poured out his spirit on them. 
They are radically transformed, so the spirit that's been around them is now in them. They are on fire, literally on fire. They are speaking in tongues. They are having a crazy drunken time. 3,000 get saved, and suddenly they have a church, and they're like, what the heck just happened? And then, well, Jesus didn't leave us a book. They couldn't go. Where's the church planting manual, Jesus 101? Uh, he, di- he didn't give us one. What book do we have? We have an old covenant. Let's read the old covenant. They read the old covenant and they're like, oh crap. This doesn't make sense. And we went through the ways it didn't make sense. I don't know if you remember, but we, we, we had eight, eight things which we'll perhaps look at really quickly if I can get my iPad to behave. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jesus. So remember, these guys, they've bought with Jesus, they've, ex- they've enjoyed Jesus, they've had an experience now of heaven invading earth, they've, they've known that he is the son of God, uh, they're still working all that out, and then they start to think, how do we do this, what's our reference point, do we have a manual, do we have the right information, and, 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 and it just doesn't work, because Jesus did this crazy stuff, he did things like Matthew 5, it says in the Bible, in the Old Covenant, it says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if he slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. Oh dear. Oh, we can't use that one then, can we? Mark 7. They're, they're all eating with unwashed hands. So they'd remember this. Because they were there, they were doing it, they were getting corn and eating it with unwashed hands and there's a big hoo-ha because it's the Sabbath so Jesus changes the view of the Sabbath and then he does this thing where where it says you don't have to wash your hands and then it says by this he declared all foods clean and some of you caught this last time and you have been eating your new covenant bacon sandwich (laughs) so you could eat there's very very specific rules in the book about what you could eat Jesus changed the book and didn't leave a book with all the new rules. See how confusing this could be? And that's only two of them. We, we looked also at, <laughs> at when they, where, where the sons of, sons of thunder want to command fire to come down, just like Elijah did. I mean, they're quoting scripture here. Look, Elijah did this. He burned up scores of soldiers. Why can't we command fire to come down? And Jesus turns to them and says, uh, you don't know what spirit you are of. <laughs> Hang on a minute. In, in the book we have, it was kosher, literally. In what you're telling us, it's now not kosher, and you don't leave us a book. But your God... Or you're the son of God. That was written by God. What do we do with this? The confusion is deepening. Can you not tell? I can tell it's happening to you. The furrowedness of the brows. I'm going to increase it all the more. Luke 14, it says, Jesus said, the Spirit's on me. And one of the things he's anointed me to do is give sight to the blind. You're like, yes, Jesus is the healing God. And then you... He's gone now in terms of his physical presence. So you get your book of Exodus out. And verse, chapter 4 and verse 11 says that God's giving people to be blind. You're like, what God is this? 
And then they're walking with him one day and there's a man born blind who people spat on because blindness was seen as a curse from God because of sin in the person or their family line. So people would routinely spit on them to join in the curse. Jesus sees this guy born blind and the question they ask is, is this his sin or the one, the sin of his parents? And Jesus says, no, it's for the glory of God. And he spits, but not on the guy, he spits in the mud. I mean, even that's a miracle. This is mud. Who knows what was there before Jesus spat on it? I mean, you dirty streets of Palestine, it just does any old mud. If you go out there and you spit in someone's garden mud and come and put it in my eye, I might have a problem. But slap, slap. So here's Jesus redeemed spit and he brings this guy's eyes open. He's the God who makes people's eyes open. He doesn't curse them for the sin of their parents. Wow, that's even more. That's only four points. This is so confusing. You, you are son of God. You're representing him. Uh, uh. Oh, there's more. Matthew 10, 23 is a weird, weird thing. Jesus says this. He says that if, if the miracles that were performed in you, which is Capernaum, were performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Wow. That's an era change, if ever there was. You know, if, if, if Jesus could have got into the Back to the Future car... Sorry, we watched Back to the Future trilogy. Isn't it good? It's an old movie. Yeah, come on. Back to the Future, just, I know it's 80s, but it's still cool. Okay, who thinks Back to the Future is still cool? Thanks. So the reference is not lost, that's the point. So if Jesus could have got in that DeLorean and gone back to Sodom and Gomorrah, done a few healing miracles, what he's saying is they would have repented and the city would still be there. No fire from heaven of the, of the destructive kind, only salvation because of this new thing that Jesus was releasing on the earth. That's strange. Hmm. Who wrote the Old Covenant? all gone really quiet now it wasn't the professor out of back to the future just <laughs> how are we doing we, we kind of I mean these guys were stressed John 8 you know the woman caught in adultery story it's really clear in the old covenant that anyone caught immediately should be stoned That's the rules. And they were God-inspired rules in the Old Covenant. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, if you are just only going to rely on what you can read in a book, you are in a real mess. Because Jesus didn't leave a book. If you rely on what you can read in a book, you're in a mess because Jesus didn't leave a book. Lots of cult, he, cult religions, they write a book. They have an angelic encounter in a cave and they write the thing down because they want to codify their nonsense. Jesus didn't leave a book. 
he actually personally wrote nothing down permanently. I'm going to take a risk. Uh, This doesn't happen to me every week or even every year. But I had three angels show up in my study a year ago. And they said, we're going to take you on 40 days of encounter. And a whole lot of stuff happened. We shouldn't use the word weird, but I will, because it was. (laughs) But eventually God's normal will stop being my weird, but just, you know what I'm saying. So I end up in this room having a conversation with the Apostle Paul and John, and I'm like, boy, have I got a lot of questions to ask you guys. So some of you have already checked out and like, yeah, he's a nut job, which is the risk I'm taking here. (laughs) But what they said to me is like, we're not going to answer any of your questions. You have what we have and that's enough. We only had the Holy Spirit. We didn't have a book. And that's how we got what we got. The stuff you're reading, we wrote because we got him. We're not going to answer any more questions. Trust him. That's what we had to do. That's what you got to do. I mean, if you're a book, you know, the book side of me is like, ah! <laughs> let's carry on. Boy, you just, just, you know, put me aside as a heretic or whatever you want to do right now. <laughs> the leper that knelt before Jesus, if you willing you can make me clean oh so much happening here you see what we can't understand is is this was new what Jesus was doing going around proclaiming the kingdom of God God all right God that they all knew their old covenants their old testaments these guys they memorized it the the Pharisees and Sadducees had memorized the whole jolly thing and you couldn't be one unless you could memorize it and here you have people who knew that it was a bit of a dodgy thing whether God might want to heal you or he might want to kill you so hence the question and also lepers knew outside the camp they're infectious nobody engages with them no one touches them so here's the leper going oh well if you're if you're willing all right if you're willing, if it's the will of the Lord, you can make me clean. And Jesus messes the whole thing up by saying, I am willing, and he touches him. And the health in Jesus expels the disease from the leper. It completely reverses the fear-based teaching of the old covenant, which is if you touch the leper, the disease is going to get you. So just imagine you're a disciple and you know your old covenant a bit and you're going through all these experiences and you're getting to know Jesus. Getting to the point of saying you are the son of God is actually quite difficult. Do you want more? Mark 10. Oh, this is... Uh, there's teaching on divorce. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send the woman away. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, he, that is Moses, wrote you this commandment. 
But from the beginning of creation, God made, made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Oh, my goodness. We're going to run out of time. Never mind. Who wrote the Old Testament? Who inspired the book? He wrote something through the inspiration of the Spirit to Moses that said, hey, you can divorce people, but actually it's not really my heart. It was written in a book because it's what they could cope with. It wasn't a revelation of the heartbeat of the Father. Just to stand on our thinking side and stroke our beards. What do, what do ladies do with thinking? They, they don't have beards, do they? I don't know. Stroke your chin, I suppose. Scratch your head. So God, in his goodness, writes something. Because what they could cope with, but it doesn't fully reflect what is in the heart of God. And Jesus reveals the heart of God regarding the matter of marriage. Another one. In the old covenant, you couldn't say the name of God. You couldn't even write it down with all the vowels in it. Jesus comes along and says, they say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because obviously he had a great prayer life. Something was going on with this guy. So the first thing he says is, this is what you do. You say, our father, Abba, daddy, intimate. <laughs> they were taught they can't say God's name, let alone write it down. And now he's like, just address him as, his, as your papa. They were left with a very big problem. And he didn't leave a book. I want a book. I want, I want a technical explanation of how we fix this mess. If you don't understand covenant, you won't get it. And if we don't allow Jesus to be God, we won't get it. I think too many believers don't really believe Jesus is God. They think he's God's gopher. <clears throat> so all the New Testament writers are like asking, they only have Holy Spirit to ask. They can read their old covenant, but it, it, it's going to give them all the stuff we just said that Jesus said was different. And they're like, oh, shit. Then they remember, on the night that he's betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. In This is the blood of the new covenant made in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Like, oh, it's new. We understand covenant. It's new. It's a new, it's, it's a new covenant. And it's more new than the transition from Moses to David, which was a scary transition. This is a completely new deal. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. Moses was a revelation, but he was not the full and final revelation. 
Don't go for your information about healing to Moses. Go to Jesus. If you want to know the heart of God, go to Jesus. He fully displays the heart of God. So the New Testament writers start to put these funky lines together. And in fact, John 1, I discovered the other day, the first few verses of John 1 was probably an early church hymn, which is really interesting. What they were singing about in the early church was the full-blooded incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. That was like their... So John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Wow. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he was the light that came to the world, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. They were singing that stuff every Sunday. Oh, Jesus, you are God. You were with God, face to face with God, and then you came in the flesh. You were the light of the world, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. That was a groovy song back then. <laughs> and apparently, the Colossians, I'm going to quote a bit of it, Colossians 1.15 was possibly another song, and there they were singing about him being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The penny finally dropped that Jesus was God, and all the fullness of God lived in him, and he represented God in the fullness and in the final sense of it. Can, can I borrow you, Mark, a second? I think I've just, just standing in front of me, I think I've, this is Mark is Jesus. He's, he's brilliant, actually. Good choice. He's doing a good job of looking like Jesus. Just stand there a minute. So I'm, I'm just regular and Americ punter. And I'm looking at Jesus. In a lot of my Christian life, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, pretty cool. But I'm just wondering if there's God just behind him going, eh. <laughs> so like some point Jesus is going to move and you're going to see the real thing just uh -uh. doing a grand job it's all there there's not another scary one about to jump out from behind Jesus Jesus is the fullness of deity in a body, in a human body. Don't ask me how he did it, he, but he did it. And not only did he do it, he went and died doing it. Good job, Mark. You might get a job in EastEnders at that rate. <laughs> I always do this. I've got to crash land this out of the sky. Just. Why is this important? It's important because we're called two things. We are called to take Jesus to the world. We need to take the right Jesus. And sometimes people say, but why do you talk about healing all the time? It's because between one-third and one-half of Jesus' ministry was signs, wonders, and healing. That was Jesus fully displaying God. That's probably what we should try and do. 
I'm not there. You know, one third. I mean, let's set the target lower than a half. The fullness of God lived in Jesus. So it's important so that we understand the God we're looking at and the God we're meant to take to the people around us. And the second thing is, it's important that we know because we need to know who's in us. Because the one who, in whom the fullness dwells now dwells in you in fullness. Could, could I have your back, Mark? Sorry, you, you, you did so well. This dude here, this Jesus here, the fullness of God, no other scary one behind him. When you come to Christ, when you put faith in Jesus, all of that shows up inside of you. So you need to know what's there, don't you, really? Thank you, Mark. Excellent job again. And, and I, I, need to, I need to stop. Can we stand, just relieve the pressure from our bottoms? There's, there's nothing more spiritual than that. Um, but I, I think my appeal to you is to truly enthrone Jesus as God in your heart and in your thinking. That's my appeal, is that you make a decision today that you're not going to look anywhere else for how you think about God. You give Jesus the primary place. Let him be the one both in your thinking and in your experience, because he wants you to know him. Like the answer to Philip, he wants you to know by experience and knowledge that he is, that he is the image of the Father. He wants you to know. He's determined and passionate about you knowing that he is the image of the Father. So can we just pray and just decide in our hearts afresh that we will, we will give him that place in us. Jesus, we thank you that you, you radically, radically turn the world upside down. You turn the religious world upside down. You turn the Roman world upside down. You turned our world upside down. And this morning, we just want to recommit to seeing you as God in your fullness and seeing you in that place in our thinking, in our hearts. And that we would then go on to be better representatives of you to the nation and the nations and the cities and our friends. Oh God, thank you. You're amazing. You are amazing and you're trustworthy. Thank you for a new covenant in your blood. And we're going to remember you. Jan, did you have some words? Just to, I think it's next week, there's breaking of bread. But when it says remembrance of me, what we made it was screwing our eyes up. When I became a Christian, you know, we screwed our eyes up and tried to remember Jesus on the cross. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, remember me. Remember all that stuff. Remember the fun. Remember the deliverance. Remember the provision. Remember the healing. Remember the, the whip. In, in, the, in, the, in the temple, in my purity. Remember all that stuff. Get excited remembering me as we break bread and take the wine.